0: Oh my gosh, we are back with another AmeriCorps alum on the AmeriCorps Connections podcast. I finally had to just hit record on this because I'm so excited. Shannon and I met, I don't even know, several years ago. I think it was pre-pandemic. So who knows, a different lifetime ago. And I was really excited that I saw her on LinkedIn and we connected. So this, this, this conversation is about to get wild folks. But before we jump into the conversation, As I said on my last previous podcast, I have announcements because I have stuff going on. So let me just start off with Welcome to the AmeriCorps uh, Connections Podcast. I'm Nikki Fiacco, for those of you that don't know. And I basically started this podcast back in 2023 with the goal to connect with as many alumni as possible to hear about their service stories and their service journeys and find out basically what they're up to now and how we can leverage this 1.3 million alumni community that we have. So every week here on the AmeriCorps Connections podcast, we listen to and hear the stories of a new AmeriCorps alum that's gone through national service. Sometimes it's a straightforward journey, but a lot of times it's a windy road with obstacles and surprises. So we never know where this conversation is going to go. The one thing I always like to say is that service and volunteerism brings us together. And right now we have a really big issue in this country about connecting. So it's my bigger vision to hope that these messages get out beyond and past the AmeriCorps network and into the greater just zeitgeist of consciousness to start thinking about connecting through service and volunteerism. So I'm gonna go right to my announcements because I always get annoyed when my podcasters are just talking for 10-15 minutes, but you can always forward. But don't forward yet because I have a special announcement. So for those of you that don't know, Toolbank USA has tool banks across the United States. And during AmeriCorps week, um, March 10th through the 16th, there will be Ameri- opportunities to engage in service projects on the campuses of Baltimore Tool Bank, the Charlotte Tool Bank. Cincinnati Tool Bank, Houston, Phoenix, and Richmond. So if you're not watching this, you can go to toolbank.org, AmeriCorps Week 2024, and you can find a service project near you and get involved. So this is something that's very exciting. It was a brainchild of mine back in early 2023. And Noah Smock, who was a guest on the AmeriCorps Connections podcast, he and I put our heads together and I mean, honestly, he's the one that made it happen. It was just my idea. So (laughs) I'm going to give credit where credit's due. Thank you, Noah and the Tool Bank. So another cool announcement that I want to acknowledge is that I'm excited that the AmeriCorps Connections podcast has a new production and marketing support team with Do Good, Be Good, which provides training for AmeriCorps programs and are staffed by all AmeriCorps alums. Thank you. Thank you so much. They're helping me with the back end stuff so I can stay focused on what I do best, which is find amazing guests like Shannon and have fun and, and energizing conversations. So, you know, keep an eye out for them. And if you're looking for support for your programming, definitely reach out to them. And finally, without any further ado, of course, I tip my hat to Dan Medivere, who was the very first one that stepped up to support me in this podcast. And it would have never, ever, ever even gotten this far without him actually hosting this uh, podcast on his platforms, so that's why you can find it on YouTube or Apple to Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of the places that you can get your podcasts. So thank you, Dan Metevier and Triple C alum. All right, so today we're talking with Americorps alum Shannon Stober. Is that right, Stober? Yeah, I did it. Served as Americorps Vista, which we were talking earlier. I thought you served as an Triple member, but you can fix that part of the story. So you're one of those diamond, diamond uh, AmeriCorps members who served two years, Vista and then a Vista leader. So I did, I was in an essential oils company and we had like the multi-level marketing. And so there was like, you're lame because you're not selling enough. And then there was like silver, gold, and diamond. There's platinum too, but I reserved that for those service members who did like five years. Right. So you are a diamond AmeriCorps alum.
1: (laughs) I I love it. I'll take it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we met just for some clarity. And this is why this conversation is going to get goofy is we met several years ago at a conference hosted by America service commissions in Des Moines, Iowa. We had a great time. We may or may not have been doing plain bingo in a drag bar. I don't know. I I think we were, but anyways, (laughs) let's jump right in. When let's start with your reflection of your service year. So how, How did this all start for you, and where did your hero's journey begin, and what was the call to action? Take it away. I
1: love it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So the, the story begins, it was 2002. I was born and raised in Colorado, and I was going to school at a small state school called Fort Lewis College in Durango, and I was getting ready to graduate with my degree in sociology and women's studies. And it dawned on me that the career pathways attached to that degree were less than obvious. So I was chatting with another sociology student one day and asking her what she thought she was going to do. And she's like, hey, have you ever heard of AmeriCorps? And at that point I had not. So as the story goes, I went home that evening, had a couple beers, watched the Cuba Gooding Junior Classic Snow Dogs and decided to find out what this AmeriCorps thing was all about. And what I discovered is that I could use that program to punch my ticket to Montana which is a place that I visited frequently growing up. I had always had a little bit of an attraction to. So I said, well, what the hell? Like I might as well apply. This seems up my alley. I'm kind of a a do-gooder. Let me see if I can get into this AmeriCorps thing. So I applied for a position in Bozeman and I was accepted. So next thing I knew, I had the truck pointed north. I had my 120 pound dog and a desk. To this day, I have no idea why I was like, I have to bring a desk. I think I was like forecasting my administrative future. So I brought a desk.
0: Did you bring your briefcase too? I did
1: not have a briefcase. The Briefcase came later in life, along with haircut and removing of nose piercings, which I still regret to this day, but there was no briefcase briefcase at that time. But yeah, so I came up to Bozeman, Montana, and I did my first term of service as a Vista working at a teen center called the Blue Iguana Teen Coffee House, pretty progressive. It was an entity. The The board of governors was all youth. The executive director, my site supervisor, was 24 years old, I believe. Her previous experience was in being a private chef for vegans. So a lot of relevant experience for the nonprofit sector. And I came in and was supposed to help them figure out how to do fundraising. And, and what I actually helped them do was figure out that they needed to close the youth center. And I always laugh and say my biggest accomplishment in my first term of service was closing a teen center, which people find odd. But for me, it was about truly understanding the importance of being community centers in your work and bringing community voice in and being cautious and thoughtful about how you use resources. So essentially we're able to establish that that was not meeting the needs of emerging youth. And there were other things that they wanted and better ways to use that money. So yeah, that was my first term. It was awful. It was super hard, right? I was like, it was super hard, right? Like the community was tough. Like not having money was really, really tough. My boss was tough. When we closed the youth center, I personally spent six weeks painting it to get it ready to turn back over to the landlord. Like these things will happen in service. And it was awful enough, but promising enough that I, when I called and said, would you want to be a VISTA leader? I was all in. So I took the yeah. position as VISTA leader because I saw the potential in it and wanted to try and position myself in a way that other folks who were coming into the program would have more guidance, support resources than I, than I understood I had at the time.
0: Yeah. I just want to acknowledge the fact that you went out on a limb and you just followed your gut and you were like, yeah, we need to close this thing that you guys think is really, really helpful to the community. And, and I think that America, a service year allows somebody, I, I always like to say fail flamboyantly, right. It mm-hmm. and allows somebody to kind of like test the waters of like, of I don't know, decision making and project management, like because we just kind of don't know really what how to accomplish the things that we're trying to accomplish. And sometimes, like for the Vistas, the VAD, which do you what does
1: that stand for? Vista assignment or something. I just think yeah. it sounds weird. I won't say it. And we weren't saying that when I was a Vista because I would have had too much fun with that word. <laughs>
0: so we'll just say the position description, right? Like you yeah. might say one thing, but like Really, when you get into the work, it's it's it has to turn out to be something else.
1: Yeah, just inherently. And I wanna just put a small edit like it wasn't that I was like, I think we should close this. I think to your point, as an outsider with a really simplified lens, I didn't know any better at that time than to not question the golden goose, right? Where I was like, I don't know, is the youth center working? And people, what? You know, I mean, cause the people who they'd worked so hard and they executed so well, right. They were like, we're engaging, we're doing stakeholder. I mean, they really did a beautiful job and met the opportunity that existed 10 years prior. It was just yeah. um, that, that, that opportunity had shifted. So it was like, I, I, and it wasn't me saying we should close it. It was, does it work? Like, is yeah. it, do we have a theory behind this? And then went back to the young people and the partners and asked those questions. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is no longer the solution. So it taught me a lot and I've carried that in all of my work since then is sort of are we leading solutions do we understand the community need when have we revisited that and it's to to, <laughs> to the point I think I sometimes irritate people with those questions but they're important ones to ask. Yeah. And I
0: can imagine and we'll get there when we get there but I can imagine that that kind of bleeds over and just what you said into your consulting work where you ask the tough questions. Like, you right. have to ask the tough questions like yeah. All right. So you, you did a VISTA leader position for folks that don't, Mm -hmm. don't know the difference between VISTA and VISTA leader. If you could briefly just describe what the difference was.
1: Absolutely. So the VISTA leader is essentially the team leader. So, and in that role, I was responsible for checking in, supporting, communicating conditions back to the program director, recruitment, graduations, things like that. So it was more of an administrative leadership position for the current VISTAs in the program. Mm
0: -hmm. How was that experience different from your actual VISTA year?
1: It was totally different. So it was like, I had so much support. The director of the program that I served with, which was the Prevention Resource Center, this woman named Vicki Turner was such an unbelievable badass. Like she taught me so much about how to hold space in big institutions, particularly as a woman. Mm. And so, and she saw certain talents that I had. She saw that I was interested in things particularly facilitation and training and speaking, which is something I didn't necessarily understand that I had a skill set in until I joined AmeriCorps. And so she went out of her way to make sure I had opportunities to explore that. I had good mentorship. She like, this is my favorite Vicki Turner story. So I went home for Christmas during that term of service. And she sent my parents a Christmas card. Oh, cool, just telling them how great I was. Like, so it was so I learned my first term was like in, like, it was the grit. It was the community work. It was on the ground, like, you know, bootstrapping nonprofit, all of those things. And then my second term was really about having this beautiful model of leadership and somebody else seeing my leadership potential and and supporting that and helping it blossom. It was amazing.
0: That's so cool. It's so good to be able to have, I never really had a supervisor that I felt that way with maybe I could jog my memory, but I don't know. But I had 10 gentle people around me that had kind of points of power that kind of led me down like, oh, this is what a good leader should act like or should be like. And one of the things that you said was I didn't know that I had those skills until my AmeriCorps year. Like that is so freaking solid because I became a connector. I became a super connector during my service year because just basically for for survival because I worked in Anne Arundel County Recreation and Parks. It was a huge department and there were all these moving parts. There were all these different parks and I needed to figure out how I could connect volunteers to meaningful projects and then find those meaningful projects for those volunteers. So I didn't know that I was going to have a podcast like ten years after my service and that that connection skills was going to be what makes this so successful. So, you know, for those folks that are in a year, thinking about a year or reflecting on your service year, it's really cool to think about like, what did you, what did you learn during your service year? And what are you still using now?
1: Super important. Yeah, totally. No, it was a gift. And I, I, I think about it often. So you know, these days, and we'll talk more about it, but I I've, I've run my own consulting company, and the bulk of the work that I do with that company is training, facilitation, and coaching. And if you had asked me 22 year old Shannon rolling up to Montana in her truck, like I didn't even know what the word facilitation meant, right? Like yeah. I was like literally, you know, like, And, and so to be exposed to that, I mean, that was direct exposure through AmeriCorps. There was a woman named Nicole Trimble that used to come to Montana and she's a pretty big figure in the AmeriCorps world as well, based in Seattle. And so she would come out and and do training for us. This was like the heyday of training for AmeriCorps programs, by the way, like we got together in person multiple times a year, multiple days, deep diving into training it was excellent. But she came out and led this training called the trainer's toolbox. And it was essentially mm-hmm. teaching us how to be facilitators, understanding and recognizing that Vistas have that capacity convening responsibility. I remember watching her do this. And I was like, this is cool, man. Like I mm-hmm. did like, what is, what is this space that we're in? Like, what are these things we're talking about? And she saw that I was excited about it and offered me opportunities to work with her. And then Vicky, when I was a leader, she was like, "Yeah, like you're going to be point person on trainings. You'll be working with Nicole, oh, like cool. when she's out here." So both of those women kind of came together and said, "She has a spark for this, right?" And and also she has an aptitude for it. So I I'm so grateful for the two of them, and also I okay, think good job for myself, yes, for being like I think I like this, you know, and I think I'm going to chase yeah. it down. So I get I get some credit too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll allow that. You can take Thank some credit you. for it. <laughs> so you're you know I have your LinkedIn page here because I, I said to somebody the other day I'm like I literally live on LinkedIn I live on it I like I am I am that dork that somebody like posts something and it says five minutes ago somebody posted and then I'm like I love this
1: thing I'm always you thinking how most people are on like Instagram like I'm like I know that you are on there you're always sneaking around on LinkedIn if always on LinkedIn and
0: it's just fascinating all the connections, but I'm looking at your profile and you have done so many different roles in state service and national service. So, you know, I don't know if you want to go from what you did right after your VISTA year into how you found that windy path. I just, this, this afternoon for my nine to five, we had a, a site super a new site supervisor VISTA training for my nine to five. And I was literally telling somebody that like, my career started like during my AmeriCorps year. Like that's when I started like my upward trajectory in national service. And I always like to say that like national service found me, it captured me, I stayed in the field, I did the things. But, you know, and that was like pretty much after my national service experience in 2012. I mean, literally I went from a member to, I don't know, working in the governor's office. Like what?
1: Exactly, that's
0: exactly what happened. Yeah, so let's let's go there. Like, if you want to pick it up from after this year,
1: yeah, it's funny. It's like there's some friends of mine. We always say that we answered the call to service and never hung up, right? Yes, we never hung up. And so after I completed my second term as a Vista, I was hired in the governor's office of community service, Serve Montana, and my title was training officer. Right. So again, I had this, and the universe is going to do what the universe does. There was like. Some dude named Doug who had been in the position before me for forty-seven years or whatever, right? And he just happened to be retiring right around the time that I happened to be wrapping up my service, and so I was lucky enough to to land that position. And so I had three and a half years working for the commission. Small commission. Went through two different administrations. Folks who have done that work know that that's a lot of transition. A lot can of big piece, small like, P. Please don't can me. <laughs> Oh my Lord, I mean, it was just, I mean, and again, I was like, we can have like a commission podcast, like, cause those are all other stories, but, but it was in, it was in that role that I had the opportunity to start working with folks all around the country, practitioners Mm -hmm. to really think critically, like, what does it mean to convene around personal and professional development? What does it mean to meet the needs of individuals who are inherently purposeful and transformational? What does it mean to meet young people in their truth, right? And to give young people space for their truth but also invite them into wisdom. Like it was a very, very cool experience. Um, but at the end of the day, the big P politics just weren't for me. Like that just yeah. was not for me. It got in the way of of the work and the curiosities and the questions and the space I wanted to hold. So I bounced, uh, I moved over to Missoula, Montana, and I took over the position as program director for an AmeriCorps program called Campus Corps. So we were working with college students all around the states who were in part-time minimum time positions doing service learning community service on their campuses while going to school. And it was a sh- it was a great program. And I that allowed me to really expand my view. I mean, Montana is an incredibly large geographically diverse state. And so had the opportunity to get to know a lot of rural communities, some of our tribal communities that, yeah, it was super cool. I, it was really cool. But at the end of the day, I was like, all right, I'm like managing a federal grant that's being administered through the state. And now I'm like doing subsite expenditures to 14 campuses. And I was like, this is not giving me life, no, Right. And I have no. very small tolerance. Like I do not, I, I have a small tolerance for putting my time in places that doesn't feel good. So I was there for a year and a half. And then a position opened up with the Montana Conservation Corps based in Bozeman. And probably folks are familiar with the Conservation Corps model, but I always like to say, it's like, yeah, we're going to put a bunch of kids into groups and drop them into the woods with chainsaws in the name of emotional intelligence civic, and civic engagement, right? Like, and I had always, always just been so fascinated by that program. So I applied for the position with the Conservation Corps and landed that job. So I moved back to Bozeman and I spent the next 8 years on staff kind of moving through the program ranks until I was at that point of being director of programs and working on the executive team and that was like one of the best experiences of my life like oh, those the, the god the kids that do conservation corps programs and the thing was it was there that whole time that I was working with campus corps and Montana conservation corps I was side hustling as a trainer and a facilitator so when I left the governor's office there were people who were like, we really liked you in that role. Like, would you want to come do that for us? And I was like, I don't have time. And they're like, but what if we paid you? I was like, I probably could make time. Yeah. (laughs) So it was like side hustling, right? With all these different organizations and programs. And then MCC was like this lab, right? Of like, my job was designed. I was designing the leadership training program for this, this organization that is nationally known for their work in the leadership space. And these young people do not bullshit. Like those crew leaders that I worked with, it was like, this is what I need. This is what it needs to look like. You don't think, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I mean, they would push back, they would challenge me, they brought new information. And so it was like this eight-year boot camp of like really having to figure out what is leadership what are the components how do we deliver it how do I make it digestible how do I make somebody who wants to be in the woods right now swinging a tool interested in what I have to say so yeah I I did that for eight years before launching my company but I I give so much credit to the MCC crew leaders like those young people are like they're it they shaped me 100% now
0: would they like would they tell you like specifically what kind of support they needed and things that were working and things that weren't working. Like what kind of feedback were they giving?
1: Have you ever asked a young person for feedback? (laughs) They gave it all to you. They gave it all to you. I mean, and it was and so... (laughs) They had all the feedback for me, right? If if I asked a question, I had to be ready for an answer. And and so part of that study was in building relationship, going on field visits. Some of it was, you know, getting together mid-season, talking at the end of the term. A lot of those people I ended up developing good relationships with. Anyways, I think I, I guess kind of to, to broad, like broadly, I, I feel as though I did enough to earn the trust of those young people and to honor what they said to me and to make moves on the feedback that they gave me that they felt okay telling me things. Right. And so if I brought forth a model or trained something in a certain way that wasn't meeting their needs or didn't meet the conditions of, of their service, they let me know. And if they were in the field leading crews and they felt ill-equipped for something that came up, they let me know. And if, as I got older and my hair started graying if, if my Gen X personality, was no longer vibing. And I wasn't picking up on the things that were important to them. They let me know. And so it was just really, yeah, it was a master's class, right? It was like, they gave me feedback. Sometimes they were kind, sometimes they weren't. They taught me how to receive that. They taught me how to incorporate that. And I just had countless opportunities to try again and again and again and again, until I felt really, really good about my craft.
0: I think that that is such a good reflection and something for all leaders, not even just AmeriCorps or national service, but I think there's a really big issue with people that are in management and leadership uh, uh, positions that don't listen to, you know, the end product, basically, right? Like the end product are the people that are doing the service. And, you know, so it's so important for us. And especially as we move through the ranks, working with something that's, focused on service, like people, like the humans that are doing the thing to the environment or with other humans. Like we need to think about their experience. I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody today that's a new site supervisor, but never really, you know, supervised an AmeriCorps member. And I said, something that's so important is that you will either make this service year amazing for this member or not. Like it really hinges on you. And that means you need to be present. That means you need to listen. You need to justify the way that they're feeling. Maybe not, you know, you don't have to, you know, handhold and baby cake every snowflake. But you. we need, as supervisors, as directors of, of programs, we really need to spend our time focusing on the experience of the AmeriCorps member. And I will just say, real quick, reflecting on my service year, I was a volunteer coordinator. And my su- site supervisor that I started out with, he was like, I need you in your desk from eight to four every day. And I said, I can't do volunteer coordination from my desk. I mean, mm. this was way pre pandemic. And then I had a new site supervisor come in and I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. He's like, You don't need to check in with me. We can just check in once a week. Let me know what you're doing. And then that's when the doors flooded open and the project started and the impact in the community. So good on you for like keeping that, like boots on the ground, their opinion matters.
1: Totally. I just have to pause at the fact that you said we don't have to baby cake every snowflake. I don't even know if that's a thing, but it is now. I am going to say baby cake (laughs) snowflakes all the time. No, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, even in my work now, it's like I'll, I'll run into folks I'm I will always be a major ambassador of young people emerging adults is what I like to call recent college grads like I love my emerging adults I love my emerging leaders and I will always be a major ambassador of theirs. And so I touch a lot of programs and then people that are doing work with that age group. And you know, they're like, they don't know what they don't want. And I'm like, or they don't know what they want. They don't know what they want. I'm like, okay. They don't know what they don't know. I will give you that, but these people, but they know what they want. And and like, they that is not the same thing. Like, stop conflating that. And I have seen people use that like as a way to shut down that group and shut down Mm. their voice. And I'm mm, mm, mm. I'm like, no, they don't know what they don't know. I will give you that a hundred percent. I don't know what I don't know, but they certainly know what they want. So, yeah. 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 writing,
0: we don't know what, but we all don't know what we don't know, right? Like, you know, I reflect on my, I remember sitting around a fireplace and I can't remember how old I was, but everybody was reflecting on their college experience. Well, I went to community college, but I never pursued a bachelor's degree. And so I was in my early thirties and everybody's, you know, sitting around the fire talking about, you know, oh, I was drinking beer and talking about their, their, experience. And I thought to myself, well, gosh, I want to go to college. Like I want to talk about my experience. So literally after sitting there, I, I applied, I got into university of Maryland, Baltimore County, UMBC. I finished my, my, my degree in environmental studies. And then I went off to do AmeriCorps, but I didn't know. I didn't know the process of going to school. I didn't understand the benefits of going to school. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I, I love that. I think that's probably going to be the title of this podcast and it's so important. And as you know, where we are in our careers, like I love the emerging emerging adults idea. They are my, one of my favorite groups too. Like I have Vista members right now that I'm, I'm working with and I'm kind of job coaching them a little bit. Like one of our, one of our Vistas applied for a a job in one of our partner organizations and i was like you know the site supervisor right and he goes yeah i go did you let them know that you applied he's like oh that's a great idea i'm like that's yes. like yes if you apply for a job in an organization where right. you know people work there like <laughs> let them all know that you are looking yeah. so
1: but a lot of times people that are in service don't recognize the social capital that they're building right like yes. they don't they don't see that and it needs to be just blatantly pointed out like it is it's like you know somebody who works there this is where you call and say i applied for the job would you mind putting in a good word it's like this is this is how this stuff actually works right listen i've done hr consulting i've done sure you know i know it's not how it's supposed to actually work but that's how it works like you gotta call people like you know if you know somebody call them sweet vistas come on
0: (laughs) but i think to the point of you saying like it, it shouldn't work that way but think about it like in the 20s and 30s when people are getting jobs. Like I remember, okay, this is gonna date me, but I'm just gonna bring it up as an example. I worked at Blockbuster Video, folks, and it was one of my favorite jobs because I got to watch movies all day. So that was fun. But I literally walked in to Blockbuster Video, I asked for an application, I filled out the application with my pen and my handwriting, and I handed it to the manager. So now the manager knew who I was, knew my name. So you know what I mean? It's like, it's like getting in front of people. So
1: I think that's different. It's like getting in front of somebody, right? Like being like, here's, you know, this is this is me in three dimensions. It's what I sound like, what my smile is like, my energy. And what I mean is like the notion of like, we don't like- when I say that well, shouldn't be like that is like recognizing that there are systems of power right and so it's oh, like yes. and that's yes. kind of what I mean by that right it's yep. like, well there's systems of power and so it shouldn't just be about who you know because we tend to know people that we share those systems with and so that's why I say like no you yes call if you know somebody but I get why that's also something that we should be mindful of That's yeah and to thank to you so
0: much for <laughs> pointing that out like that's like yeah a bl- that that was a blind spot right there, folks. That was a legit blind spot on my on my part. I, well, um, what like, you're
1: saying is different, though. I think you're saying something distinctly different, which is like, don't be afraid to yeah. go walk in. Like, that's a whole different art form that has been lost. Today, I got nuts, and I called three people instead of emailing them. And I laughed every time I called everyone. I was like, listen, I'm being wild today. I'm calling you instead of emailing you. They're like, this is insane, right? So what your point I think is, is super valid. And I think you were actually just talking about something different, which is like, yeah. yes. Like you can't just hit send and think stuff's going to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also like going back to the site supervisor, the importance of that, this, this is where we can make a difference in these systems that, you know, are, are racist and they keep people out of the system. Like your power as a site supervisor, you're able to bring that VISTA into the room or to bring that AmeriCorps member into the room, open the door for folks. And, you know, that's one of the things, one of the main reasons also for this podcast, like, where is everybody? Like, can we open the doors for each other? And I'll tell you, like, this is so energizing because all AmeriCorps alums that I've ever interviewed are just like, how can I help? What can I do? It's, you know, it's such an inclusive group of alumni. Basically, yeah, yeah. So you you've alluded to some of the work that you're doing now, and we are going to go way over time. <laughs> but I love it. Okay. But let's let's go there. Let's talk about like so. You did all you you were in the commission, and I agree. I I had so much fun working in the commission. And yes, maybe mm-hmm. we'll have a spinoff of like commissioners, Antonio. Yeah. Oh, what is his last name? I just interviewed him. Anyways, he was the executive director out in Colorado, and he was like, oh, the commissioner EDs, we can share so many stories together. It's totally.
1: just Yeah, like, I mean, it's a its its own vibe. You know what I mean? And it's its, it's own experience. And one, I'm so, like, genuinely, I'm so grateful. The worst yeah. part about it, right, is like, that was my first job after AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps is my first job out of college. I mean, I always worked, but I, like, delivered pizzas and stuff, right? So I thought, professionally, like, if I called somebody from the governor's office of community service, oh, man, people called me back. The moment I left that, I was like, "Oh, this yes. is shit. This is not how this really works." Like it was a false indicator. I did not know that. I was so I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I thought everybody's so responsive. I was like, "Working is so easy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a it was a tough. That was a, that was a hard lesson going from like a young person to like governor's office to sort of regular job. Yeah, yeah. I will say. Wait, what was
0: my thought? I will say once I stepped away from the commission. It was really nice to just be Nikki, just be, Nick, just be Nikki. I wasn't showing up for the Hogan administration. I wasn't showing up for the South Carolina commission. Like I just walked in the room because I remember there were times when I was executive director and I went to a program just because like, these were my people and I liked them and I used to work next to them. Right. When I ran the program and they were like, Oh, we didn't know the executive director was there. I was like, "I just, just, it. <laughs> it's just, stop it but I agree like yes it's it's such an interesting thing
1: and to bring it back to the question you were asking and to try and keep us on some linear track which it's like I'm not attached to but we can try I had a similar experience when I left my job with the conservation corps and and I started my own company so so yeah I was I did two terms of service and then worked in and around service and staffing positions for probably a decade That whole time was side hustling as a, as a trainer and a facilitator. And then I think maybe eight years ago now decided to make the, the, the side hustle, the full-time hustle, right. And incorporated a solopreneur doing training, facilitation and coaching work. But it was really relieving to remove that barrier of staff, right? Like for me, like of like, well, I'm staff and you're a member. And so therefore there's certain things I can't say. I shouldn't say there's a level of transparency I shouldn't hold there's boundaries. And I agree with all of that and think it's necessary. But man, it was so great to finally be like, okay, I just get to be stober now. Like yes. I get to just be sober and like say what I really want to say and ask the question I really want to ask because I'm not in that box anymore. And I love it. Love it. Well,
0: let's go there. What is what is sober? Be sober.
1: That's, that's sober. stober? Be stober. That's this Stober? Stober. Well, I always laugh. That is what people call me, right? Like I'm more commonly referred to as Stober than Shannon. That's just what people reference me as. And you know, right now, again, Solopreneur, so I have my own company. I've been doing it for eight years. I have almost 200 distinct clients all around the country, and I do just a variety of consulting services. So these days, I'm really, really focused in on group workshops and coaching. That is my thriving lane. That is where I stress myself to my strength, right? That is where... I feel like I have the most alignment with my clients. But before that, I've also done HR consulting, strategic planning. I've done deep organizational development contracts. So, but within all of that, I get to just sort of be fluid and what, you know, oh, this feels like it'll be a good fit. I'm not sure if this one will. This seems like an exciting opportunity. This one doesn't. Like, it just allows me to be a lot more in touch with who I am and what I'm feeling and to meet people where they are and just kind of establish whether or not we're a good fit for each other.
0: That's so an fun. Answer? Yeah, no that's it's you know it's whenever I talk to consultants Dana Benjamin oh right here product placement thanks Dana back of the napkin you know I I'm always so impressed talking to folks who have gone through from programmatic into consulting and then basically you're working on projects that you want to work on right like mm-hmm. and working with people that you want to work with and that's you don't want like want to a, work with me that want to work with you exactly and yeah. that's just like kind of an ideal so what does a coaching session like what is like what does that look like and why
1: are mm-hmm. things
0: are just dinging all over the place hold on
1: we're just having a hell of a time with the tech here uh, so i do have a, i do have coaching certifications and the majority of the people that i coach are women and the the niche that i've carved out there are women that are emerging and transitioning into the next level of leadership and so that can look like somebody who has their first management position to somebody who has taken over the board chair position of a large statewide organization that's in distress and that just tends to be a sweet spot for me is working with women in those conditions and i always like to say when i'm coaching there's sort of two levers available there's like this supportive lever Where we're thinking about the art of leadership, story of self, limiting beliefs, right? Like, what's my personal narrative and how do I create personal agency? And then that directive lever is more strategic. So that's asking Mm -hmm. questions of, like, how do we operationalize this? Do we have an understanding of sort of high level goals? Do we have the proper structures in place to hold the work? So, coaching outside of just that broad definition looks completely different with every person that I coach. Because, again, meeting people where they are trusting that, you know, they will hear what they're ready to hear. They will move in the direction that they're ready to move. So it's very much about the person that's, that's being coached and trusting them to bring forward what needs to be brought forward and trusting myself to have a tool or a resource for them. And sometimes that tool or resource has been other people. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. There's so much there. I'm just thinking about like, I, so I, I had uh, the pleasure of meeting with a, someone who's working in an organization's looking to make a jump. And so we were ch- chatting and she was telling me about the things that she was really passionate about. And it's like operationalizing um, systems within programs um, to help program managers not put so much stress on them. Like she said it way yeah. more eloquently. And I was like, you should be a contractor. I'm like, you should be a consultant. Like you, so there's, I just think it's so fascinating how our field is such a small niche, but you get this breadth of experience. And then you're like, and this is where I'm good at it. And you can just put yourself in there.
1: You're bringing up something so important, right? So when I, when, when I left my position with the conservation Corps, which by the way, still one of my number one clients love MCC, but I was like, yeah, I like the training. I like the facilitating. That's where I think I can move this but I didn't have enough of a client log at that point to support it doing just that. And so I was like, well, what else can I do? Right. And so I was like, well, there was like a spa in town that was like, do you want to consult with us to develop HR systems? Sure. If you have run an AmeriCorps program, I assure you, you know how to do HR. I assure you, you know how to do HR. Another program was like, well, you know, we're trying to, to kind of identify our impact. And I was like, well, I have formal training in program theory and logic modeling. Like I can do that work for you. You know, another agency is like looking at like, oh, like you're working through change management. Like I have gone through change management on the ground. And so, and and taking classes to bring in, I can do that for you. And so there were so many things that I got from my term of service that I was able to transfer and translate out to, I mean, and again, it's like, yes. I work deeply with the nonprofit community, the public sector, but I also work with small businesses. I work with like guest ranches and veterinarians because it's all transferable, but they were yeah. all things I got from my service experience. And when I am doing training for folks and the service, I'm like, stop thinking about what you did and start thinking about how you did it. Because what mm. is transferable is how you work, not what you were doing, but how you did it. And if we can lend that out, that's where I think alumni and, and folks that are you know moving past their term, it's like you have. So many skills, so many skills.
0: I love that. I just going to say it again. Stop thinking about what you did and start thinking about how you did it. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. That's so strong.
1: Wow. That's one of my, like for me, that's like one of my key leadership beliefs is like what we do and how we do it are of equal importance. And we focus so much on what we're doing and we don't give nearly as much attention to how we're doing it. And how we're doing it tends to be where we feel alignment, where we feel purposeful, where we really are developing that deep skill set. So it's like looking below the surface to look at how you're working tends to be really powerful stuff.
0: I think that I think that what's an so I think that I understood that concept without putting that language to it, and I love that now I have that language is one of the things that I would always suggest for folks that were finishing their service year. Um, it's a language thing right like if you're looking to do something in a different field like project management is probably called something else in the field that you're trying to go to so how did you do your project management during your vista year and how are you going to talk about it in this new role that you're trying to get right like is that kind of like what you're talking about
1: right and I would say even being able to say project management is deeper than some alumni will go right and so they're like we did I did a community garden okay what did it take to produce that like I had to like I had to engage community members I had to hold listening sessions divine like design outcomes oversee Mm -hmm. and manage like it's like right and so it's like drilling out like it's like yes what you did was community gardens but how did you do it And, and and I think it's important because I've seen so many alumni Try to create their next step based on what they did. So, for example, mm. they're like, Well, I love doing farm to farm to table and in, and, and, you know, community garden and stuff. And so I'm just will take any job in that field. Right. And this might be somebody who's like, extroverted relational and they just took a job doing data entry it's like you're going to be yeah. miserable just because yeah. that says community garden right or similarly you have somebody's like i love community gardens i'll take any job and they take a job as like the outreach person when they're incredibly introverted and analytical yeah
0: so
1: it's like yes you have to understand how you work and you can't just take like don't just taste content like you will not you won't put yourself in a position to thrive if you're just chasing the content oh my gosh
0: this is so good i feel like i I feel like I'm a little getting a little coaching on myself right now. I'm like, I have to think about how I do things.
1: I love it. I love the coaching, but I do, I also love like the group work too. Like I love group facilitation. I love, love, love group facilitation. I mean, and there's something like? about- Oh my gosh, it looks so many different ways, but the bulk of the group facilitation work that I do is around leadership competencies. Inwardly, it's facilitative leadership is the model that I I sort of design, but outwardly, it's just leadership. I mean, we just reframe and rebox anything. So I do a lot of leadership trainings for AmeriCorps programs, for uh, businesses, nonprofits, just a variety of entities. And then I also do a lot of training. I think the training I was doing when I met you was on community-centered program development, right? So thinking about... What does it look like to effectively, you know, develop programming, using design thinking, public participation. And then I do a lot of volunteer management stuff, which Montana just kind of forced me into, right? I'm still in Montana, if it's not obvious. And for whatever reason, I just got pegged as like the volunteer group. And so like community foundations, nonprofits, they're like, can you come do... You're the volunteer person, right? And I'm like, I mean, I did a lot of it during AmeriCorps. And so, yeah, now I'm certified to do it. So I just picked it up. So I do a lot of volunteer management stuff, but that's mostly just in state. The rest of it's kind of a national dig.
0: When those companies reach out to you and ask you to do the volunteer coordination, how do you? I mean, I'm sure now they, I'm assuming you get paid for that, that program. Or
1: I would say the volunteer managed, like training on volunteer. I do, though. But I also do serve as one, I I do volunteer manage directly for a music festival that occurs in Montana every summer. That is, the festival is called the Red Ants Pants Music Festival. And it is a fundraiser for a foundation and nonprofit organization that does rural women's leadership work. So every summer I do get paid to go actually on the ground volunteer manage for that.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> I just had okay, to throw it you. in because
1: it's so fun. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's the thing too, that we forget is that we have these skills and we're like we're afraid to monetize them. Like, like, yeah, I can do volunteer. Like I did volunteer coordination for an out of the darkness walk here in Annapolis for several years. And I'm like, this takes a lot of my time. Like, I kind of want to be compensated for this. Like, this is my skill, right? It's like, we don't want to ask a, a volunteer to do something that's like their day job. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> right. And so, I think... oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think sometimes Even beyond AmeriCorps, but like when we have these innate skills that we're just, we can just do easily
1: Mm.
0: being confident enough to be like, "I I would love to do that for you. And let's talk about compensation, whatever that might look like.
1: I know it's when I, I mentioned that woman, Nicole Trimble, who was such a huge mentor for me when I was working on my craft of facilitation. And she said something to me that I have never, ever forgotten. And I was like 23 years old. And she said, Shannon, you can do good and do well. And she's like, I need you to understand that you can do good and you can do well. And I am so grateful for somebody that I respected to have planted that seed for me at such a young age, right? To recognize that it's like, I can give back. I can be a good community steward. I can be purposeful. I can be involved civically. And, I can, and it is still okay for me to ask that my services be compensated and, yeah. and to hold those at high value. Like, it's, yeah. yeah, we can do good and do well. And I also like to make sure like for my, my business, so it's all word of mouth, right? I don't really do any kind of advertising. It's all word of mouth and it's all sort of things that are attracted into the circle and and just let it go that way. And, but I keep my price points a hundred percent at a place that I know I can work with AmeriCorps programs and nonprofit organizations. Like, and it's like, that's, that is who I want to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes there's this notion of like, well, a lot of times people are like, Shannon, you should be doing corporate work. You should go do that for corporate, and I'm like, why do you believe that to be better? Why is why do we assume that that is the next rung on the ladder that I have yeah. to? If I'm doing this, I need, I must want to go corporate, and it's like I have no desire to to do that. I have a couple corporate clients, you know, because again, the vibes and the values are good, right? But no, I want to be right where I'm at. I'm like, this is the price point. I value myself. I value you enough too to want to make sure that we can be accessible to each other.
0: I love that. That's so important. All right. I'm going to do my best to land the plane here. I know we're all over. We'll we'll see which tangent we go to. So I'm going to ask just a couple questions. Like, what are you really excited about either in your professional life, your personal life, or, or just what's going on in the world? What's something that you're super jazzed about?
1: I right now I am really jazzed about what I'm seeing as like a rural revitalization. I do a lot of work with rural communities and, you know, Communities that are technically considered frontier, like there's a big difference between rural, like on the East Coast, and like rural out west, right? And 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 so right now there's a huge revitalization looking at the way you know ag producers are coming together, collaborative conservation, regenerative agriculture. Like there is so much movement, women's leadership in those spaces, and and it's one that I kind of have sort of found myself, you know, the current has pushed me into, and so that. As somebody who was born and raised in rural communities and has lived in in frontier areas for a long time, it's really exciting for me to see that. And it's getting a lot of recognition, which rural communities don't often get that kind of recognition. So I'm stoked on that. I
0: love how specific that is. I would love to chat. I mean, I would love to know more about the regenerate. I can't ever say it.
1: Regenerative agriculture.
0: Yeah, like that was so I never tell people what I listen to on my podcast because you'll think I'm a conspiracy theorist and that I'm trying to start a cult. So but a lot of the things I have listened to talk about how like we need to do this. We need to change the way that we do agriculture. It is not sustainable for Mother Gaia for us to be putting all this crap in the environment, in our lands. And I love the idea and, and also just bringing back, you mentioned tribal, that's just always been something that has been so close to my heart just because of the history of the United States and everything. And, you know, I don't, are you involved in anything in, in that realm where.
1: Not directly. I mean, I hold relationships with, you know, a handful of tribal leaders Uh, their director of Indian affairs for the state of Montana is a woman that I've known for quite a while. My position is, is that's not my space to occupy. And and yeah. so like, that's not my space to occupy. Right. And so I, I kind of, from my vantage point, respectfully make sure that I am not in that space and that yeah. I'm not confused as sort of trying to own or lead in that space. I do talk a lot about white dominant culture in my work though. And, and sort of name that for folks. I feel a big obligation as, as a white woman who people pay attention to, I'm just loud and can hold people's attention. I feel I have an obligation and responsibility to be engaging in those conversations with folks who share that identity with me. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that by, by sort of doing the work in that arena and shouldering that labor and taking responsibility there, it creates more space for, you know, folks who do have those tribal identities to be doing the good work as they see fit?
0: Yeah. I love that. That's a part. That's so great. I'm yeah. going to ask two more questions. One, okay. I know, I know. And then I guess I'm just gonna have to take a trip out to Montana and we're going to have to have, have a longer Go time. To
1: Montana. It's so, it's really fun out.
0: <laughs> yeah. We talked well, whatever. Okay. See, I almost went off track again. So what do you see or what would you love to see with this larger AmeriCorps alumni group? What could we do as a collective voice?
1: I mean, it's like you're asking the the million dollar question, and the question beneath it is how do we actually organize it? I mean, trying yeah. to I do a lot of work. I serve on the alumni council here in Montana, has been active with it. It's such a it's it's a it's a tough nut to crack. And I don't know the exact answer. What I will say is I, I wanna see the alumni community do more than just protect service, right? Like it seems like mm. when we engage alumni, we do so to protect AmeriCorps, which is a function, right? It's like, yes, like we want to have these people advocating and being ambassadors to make sure those experiences exist, but it should be more for me. Mm. And and I think in an ideal world, I would love to see us get real strategic about pipelining alumni into leadership, right? In mm. all leadership, right? And so that's not just civic leadership. That's not just leadership that can continue yeah. to preserve AmeriCorps, which sometimes is how we talk about it. It's like corporate leadership, small business, local entrepreneurship, like in my mind, people who seek out and successfully complete a term of service, it says something tremendous about their character. It says a lot about their values and their sort of orientation to, to carry um, relationship to service with their identity. And those are the folks I want in all the leadership positions. Yeah. Right? And so I think, you know, historically there used to be like civic academies. And, and, and so it's like, how do we strategically and intentionally put these people, not just into the, like, I lead myself and I love that, but like, I straight up have power and influence. (laughs) Yeah. Like, how do we give them positions of power and influence that it's, it's broad, much broader than regenerative agriculture and role revitalization. But yeah, I think it's, I think that would be my thing is like, let's, let's carry, let's raise this up and really get these folks into positions where they can make changes.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I haven't heard this. I've had 30 something podcasts and nobody's mentioned this. And now my brain is going wild because companies are starting to understand the importance of corporate social responsibility. And we have service members that can move into those roles and help bring that culture into the company, into the corporations and making that connection is, is so important. That's okay, I'm going to, we're we're right. going to figure, we're gonna solve this, crack this nut.
1: And it's like, and then I think too, it's just like the moving into social entrepreneurship, right? Like yes. I feel like we, I am forever grateful and truly indebted to AmeriCorps in my opportunity to engage in public service. And I am grateful for the nonprofit sector and what they accomplished despite being set up to fail, which I yeah. honestly believe the nonprofit sector is set up to fail. But I also think we have to like get outside of these systems at some point because I don't know that we can actually fix them. And so it's like social entrepreneurship, like how do we create something that's completely different? I like to think that a lot of my work is like social entrepreneurship where it's like, I want to make these changes. I can't get this work done inside the system. So in order to do this, I have to get out of the system. And while I'm at it, I'm going to say that I'm a value and charge money for the work that I do. Right. So just to that point, it's like getting into that. I think social entrepreneurship is something that we should be steering people towards too.
0: Oh my gosh. This is so good. There's, I could, oh my God, I could, I could just go, okay, we're going to have to do a second interview and we're just going to have to focus (laughs) on that one goal and maybe have, I don't know, and come away with action items. I'm going to ask you one more question, which is going to be really easy to answer. I love it. It, It's basically like, what are you working on now? What do you want our audience to know? You know, I have like 54 subscribers on YouTube, maybe 60. And so if you're watching watching this on YouTube, honestly, like if you like follow and subscribe, it like helps the algorithms. So anyways, what do you want our audience to know about what you're up to? And then if people want to connect with you, what's the best way of connecting?
1: I love it. So again, I never even said the name of my company, because again, that's just how cosmic it is. So my company is jumpstart training and development. We've got plenty of clients, like work is going super well. If I can be of service, if you dig the vibe and the values and you're curious as to how I might be able to support you in the work that you're doing, please reach out. People reach out all the time to ask me about what is the journey towards being a social entrepreneur and and how did I make strategic decisions I am always very welcoming of, of those just discovery calls. And so if folks want to reach out and pop on the phone or in the zoom room and talk about it. I am more than happy to extend that back. And then beyond that, I just want to know what's on your mind. Like, what are we fighting? What's happening out there? Like, I do not have my conservation Corps crew leaders anymore, keeping me abreast. So I'm really active on Instagram. It's a good place to find me. I run my mouth on there a lot. But I love knowing, like, what's the new term? What's the phrase? You know, how are we conceiving of these things? Where are the pinch points? So if folks just want to try and get connected, Instagram is a good place for me. And just tell me what you're thinking. Point me in the right direction.
0: What's your Instagram thing?
1: Oh, it's Shannon Stober. It's just Shannon underscore Stober.
0: (laughs) Stober. when I, when I make
1: the thumbnail for this, should I just put Stober on there and just let, you should, honestly, because when I introduce myself, when I'm trained, I tell folks like, just call me Stober. My husband calls me Stober and that's not his last name. That's my, that's my last name. Like I assure you, like I, what, there are times where people are trying to get my attention and are saying Shannon over and over. And I don't even turn around because I don't realize they're talking to me. That's so funny. That, so feel I, free um, to put Stober on there. I love that. I,
0: I, I've I've been Nikki my entire life. I moved to New York for a short stint and I thought it was going to be all fancy. And I was like, my name's Nicole. Cause that's, that's my given name is Nicole. And people would be like Nicole. And I wouldn't respond cause I have never responded to Nicole ever in my life. Other than my, when my mom yelled at me and would be like, you
1: know, So that's what I'm, so, that's what that's I'm saying. A, like, it's like, I just don't, I'm yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, but you great. can find me there. And like I said, I'm more interested, like it's, if folks feel compelled, if there's something about my energy, that's interesting or the way I've framed the work that is, that's interesting. I love when people reach out and just see if there's some way for us to co-create together. And if not, if you want to just ask questions, I love just shooting the breeze with people as evidenced.
0: <laughs> this was so good. Thank you, Shannon, so much for your time. And, and for all the folks out there, definitely reach out. When we met in person so many years ago, it was like, a good vibe. And I don't know, I think you just learned so much from, from sober. So sober. Thank you, Nikki. I know. Easy now. Easy. I know. So thank you so much for hanging there. If you're all the way to the end, definitely hit subscribe and like it and share if this is meaningful. And we'll be back next week with another AmeriCorps alum. Thank you again, Shannon. This has been so great.